The battle is on for Jerusalem. Will Jerusalem be divided? Why is Jerusalem such a hot-button issue? What does the future hold for this city chosen by God himself? Well, we will answer these questions and more on this edition of End of the Age. There are more prophecies about the nation of Israel than almost any other nation. Israel has a God-given destiny and is a chosen nation. And a lot of people argue that, but that's scriptural. And though it is only a a little nation that makes up less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's population, Israel is in the news every day every week, and every month. And it's at, the, it's, it's at the center of it all is Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Israel. And there's always been a battle for control of Jerusalem because people know if they can take Jerusalem away, all of Israel falls apart, right? According to... The Jerusalem Post, U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is talking about a reopening a U.S. consulate in Jerusalem to make it easier for the Palestinian population to receive consular services. And the Palestinian Authority sees it as really a, a redividing of Jerusalem, an act that would violate really American law. Uh, American law is quite clear. The U.S.-Jerusalem Embassy Act repeatedly stresses the unity and indivisibility of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And it states, it says, um, in 1967, the city of Jerusalem was united during the conflict known as the Six-Day War. Jerusalem has been a united city administered by Israel, and Jerusalem should remain an undivided city recognized as the capital of the state of Israel. The Palestinian Authority sees opening the consulate in Jerusalem as a rejection of all these statutes of American law. Explaining the the international implications of the U.S. reopening of the consulate, Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Mahmoud Shtai stated that the move is important, for the Palestinians because the message from this Biden administration is that Jerusalem is not one united Israeli city and that the American administration does not recognize the annexation of Arab Jerusalem. You get that term? Arab Jerusalem? By the Israeli side. I wonder if he knows his Bible very well. Do you think? We want the, uh, he states, we want the American consulate to constitute the seed 
of a U.S. embassy in the state of Palestine. Consider that term. This is what's in their mindset. An Arab Jerusalem as we go throughout the program. The question is, will President Joe Biden succeed in his efforts to divide Jerusalem? Well, not according to Scripture. I think if Mr. Biden understood the history as well as the future of Israel, he might be a little more cautious when dealing with this most holy city, Jerusalem, right? So I tell you what we'll do. Let's see if we can't help him out with that history and the future of Israel. And to appreciate the significance of the prophecies that lie ahead for Israel, it's important that we understand its history. How do we get to where we're at right now? Is it a God thing? Is it even a scriptural thing? Because if it's not, what are we worried about, right? Well, the fact is, it's very scriptural, which means it's a God thing. Absolutely. You know, God chose... Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, very important. I've stood there many times. God chose Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, all the way back in 2000 B.C. when He instructed Abraham to go there to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, this is about 4,000 years ago now. God specifically chose the father of the people of Israel, Abraham, to go to this specific mountain. And then he told Abraham, I'm giving you this promised land through the lineage, your lineage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then around 1000 BC, King David moved Israel's capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. Jerusalem then remained Israel's capital for 1,070 years until the Romans drove the Jews out of the city in 70 A.D. During King David's reign, God instructed him to buy the Temple Mount as a place of sacrifice, and the exact same place to which God had sent Abraham for his sacrifice. And in 2 Samuel verse 24 through 24, we're told that David purchased the Temple Mount of Arana, the Jebusite, for 50 shekels of silver. Then King David's son Solomon, he built the first temple on the Temple Mount, completing it in 968 B.C. During that dedication of Solomon's temple, fire supernaturally fell from heaven on the sacrifice, and the glory of God filled the temple. And this divine event forever solidified in the Jewish mind God's approval of the temple on the Temple Mount as the center of Jewish life. God said many times in the Old Testament, I think it's around 40 times in the Old Testament that I will put my name in Jerusalem forever. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night after the dedication and he said, I have heard thy prayer, Solomon, and have chosen this place 
to myself for an house of sacrifice. That's in uh, 2 Chronicles 7.12. And he went on to say, For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, the first temple, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. 2 Chronicles 7.16. So that temple mount, that city, has been the center of Jewish life for thousands of years, everyone. Who would even think of dividing it at all? Certainly not me. Hopefully not you as well. And hopefully not our president. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills. But God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. And now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time Message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So the message here is that when you mess with Jerusalem, when you mess with Israel, you're messing with something that is God-inspired. God would put his name there. He put his name in the temple, but then 2 Chronicles 33, 7 states that not only will he put his name, will God put his name in the temple, but also his name will be put in Jerusalem forever. Jerusalem is the only city on earth in which God said he would put his name forever. Now, you can discount that if you want to. But when God says something, that's it. The Bible says, let God be true, let every man be a liar. God is the ultimate authority. There's nothing that compares to God. And when he says, I will put my name there, that settles it. And with this pronouncement... The wars over Jerusalem began. It appeared as though 
Satan himself said, well, if you want your name there, then that's exactly where I want mine, right? And since that time, there have been more wars fought over Jerusalem than any other city on the planet. Think about that. Now, Solomon's first temple stood from 968 B.C. to 586 B.C. when the Babylonian uh, king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And he carried the people of Judea away as slaves into Babylon. Daniel, the three Hebrew children, they went down at that point. During the following 70 years of captivity, devout Jews turned their faces three times each day towards Jerusalem and they asked God to forgive their sins and to return them to the holy city. Well, of course, God answered that prayer in 538 B.C. when the Persian king Cyrus released the Jews from their captivity and decreed that the temple should be rebuilt. So, led by Zerubbabel, the temple was rebuilt on the Temple Mount, And it was completed in 516 B.C. And this began the second temple era. Now, once again, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount became the the, the center of Jewish life. I mean, Jews resumed making their way to Jerusalem three times each year as commanded by God back in Deuteronomy 16.16. And after the completion of the second temple, Israel enjoyed really a time of of relative quiet under the world government of the Medes and the Persians. Even when the Medes and the Persians were conquered by Alexander the Great and his Grecian armies, Israel still continued living in the Holy Land with Jerusalem as its capital. And this is very important because you need to understand all of this to know what's happening today when the Arabs are saying an Arab Jerusalem. Once you understand history and the God factor, that makes zero sense, right? So it was after the death of Alexander the Great, his kingdom was divided into four parts, led by four of his generals. Uh, Cassandra ruled in Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus controlled Thrace and Asia Minor. Seleucus uh, ruled over uh, what much of the Middle East, and then Ptolemy reigned in Egypt, Cyprus, and parts of Asia Minor. Well, then Antiochus IV became the leader of the Seleucids in 174 BC. He changed his name to Antiochus Epiphanes. Many of you would recognize that name. The name Epiphanes meaning God manifest, or the manifestation of a divine or supernatural being. So after assigning to himself the self-exalting name, no one should have been surprised at some of the things that he proceeded to do. In um, 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem, removed the sacred objects from the, the Jerusalem temple, and slaughtered a large number of Jews. And he then imposed a tax and established a fortress in Jerusalem... And then, of course, Antiochus tried to suppress public observance of Jewish laws in an attempt to impose total control over the Jews. His government 
um, outlawed the, the Jewish scriptures and forbade circumcision on a penalty of death. And it banned Sabbath observance and set up an idol of Jupiter on the Temple Mount, which, of course, the ultimate desecration. And according to Josephus, Antiochus even forced Jews to sacrifice swine's flesh upon the temple's altar. Then we come to the revolt of the Maccabees. These actions by Antiochus were, they so offended the Jewish people that revolt became inevitable, right? Because remember, this was the center of their life, the the Temple Mount and Jerusalem. And now look at the utter desecration that was going on there. So a, a priestly family of Matthias, which came to be known as the Maccabees, they called people forth to the holy war against Antiochus and the Seleucids. Well, in 164 BC, Judah, one of the Maccabean sons, captured Jerusalem. Judah ordered the temple to be cleansed, a new altar built in place of the desecrated one, and new holy vessels would be made. Well, when the fire had been kindled, once again upon the altar and the lamps of the candlestick lit, the dedication of the altar was celebrated, celebrated for eight days with sacrifices and with songs. And this was the beginning of the festival of Hanukkah, which the Jews celebrate yearly to this day even. And, but this revolt by the Maccabees, they be, it began over a hundred years of Israel independence. And this area is referred to as the Hasmonean kingdom. And it was marked with continual infighting and civil strife. Well, then the Roman general Pompey, he conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC. And he placed Israel in the Roman sphere of influence, but returning the Hasmoneans to power. So it was in 40 BC that Herod was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. And he was entrusted with enforcing Roman influence in the Holy Land and with, of course, collecting the Roman tax, right? And then it was in 37 B.C. that Herod the Great captured Jerusalem, ending the Hasmonean rule, and he began... But well, And because Herod ruled Judea as a client king of the Romans, the Jews hated him. And in an attempt to gain the favor of the Jews, Herod the Great remodeled the second temple and he made it much larger and more beautiful. He built a platform that you see there today. And it was said of the refurbished temple, he that has never seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in his life. Well, this brings us to the birth of Jesus. Now imagine all of this history that I'm going through. Imagine getting to 2021 and saying, well, I just, we just might recognize possibly Jerusalem as an, an Arab uh, city. Think about that, an Arab Jerusalem. Not once you understand all the history and the, the, uh, the biblical history and the God-chosen city of Jerusalem. No way. 
But there are people today that say, well, let's just divide it. Let's just put a, uh, a Palestinian consulate there in Jerusalem, allowing them, even though they're not even a state, will allow them to function as one. It makes no sense. Well, in, since so we come to the birth of Jesus, and since 600 B.C., the Jews had lived through the, the global empires of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians, and now Rome. And in spite of living under the, the domination of a world government, one, one world government after another, there still burned in the hearts of the Jewish people the promise of the Messiah who would liberate them from their enemies and establish a reign of peace and justice. I mean, there are hundreds, there, there, there are hundreds of messianic prophecies prophesying the first coming of Jesus Christ, which was the Messiah. They didn't recognize, many of them didn't recognize him as that. But there are still many prophecies throughout the Old Testament about what the Messiah would be and what he would do and the prophecies would be fulfilled when he came. So in the 400 years preceding the birth of Jesus, no prophet had appeared to the Jewish people. It was as though God had simply fallen silent. The last word they received from God had come from the prophet Malachi. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. So, of course, because of that prophecy, the Jews looked for Elijah to come. And they hoped for an end to all of the strife that continually ripped Israel apart. Well, of course, just like is prophesied in the Old Testament, one day it happened. Wise men from the east showed up at Herod's palace, claiming that they had been guided by this supernatural star to come worship a child. Now, remember, he's talking to Herod. They're talking to Herod here. But they wanted to worship a child that was to be king of the Jews. Well, imagine Herod. Herod summoned the Jews' high priest. And he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born, according to the prophets? Well, that they said, that the, um, the high priest said, well, that's specifically prophesied in the scriptures. Micah clearly tells us that, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from old, even everlasting. That's Micah 5, 2. Well, of course, Herod, Herod's beside himself. Herod explained to the wise man, but he's trying to hold it back. He's got to keep it secret. So he explained to the wise men that uh, Bethlehem was some five miles to the south. He instructed them to return to him after finding the newborn child so that he too could worship him, right? It was a total lie. Herod didn't want to worship the king of the Jews. He wanted to kill him. So about this time, shepherds on the hills just outside of Bethlehem, they were visited by a host of angels. And the angels declared to them, 
we bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The shepherds left their flocks to go find the child, and sure enough, they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just like the angels had said. And they bowed and worshipped him. So the reports of these events swept through Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and really throughout the rest of Israel like wildfire. Once again, hope sprang up in the hearts of the Jewish people. Well, 30 years later, John the Baptist came preaching in the hills of Judea. He didn't preach like other rabbis. He preached with great power and he said, Hey, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew 3, 2. So the people wondered, Could this be Elijah promised by the prophet Malachi, who would come before the coming of the Messiah? And John even said, There cometh one after me that is mightier than I, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3.11. Well, then of course Jesus came preaching. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. Surely he was the Messiah. And Many in Israel even believed on him. He had great crowds, if you remember. But the religious leaders of Israel hated him. They were jealous of him because of the crowds of people that followed after Jesus. He he was a threat to their religious traditions that they had formed through the centuries. And he was a threat to the religious authority that they had exercised over the people of Israel And he he could not be tolerated. He had to die. And three days before his crucifixion, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, looked over the city of Jerusalem, and Matthew records his words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you, gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. That's Matthew 23, 37. So, Jesus actually weeps over Jerusalem and he prophesying its destruction. Now, it's the city we're talking about today. The city that some are looking to divide. It means nothing to them. It's just an international mindset. And in the next segment, we'll continue on with the history and the future of Israel. You certainly do not want to miss our next program. God bless. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
when you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99. You can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. You know, Jesus did prophesy the destruction of Israel. But Luke describes the same scene as Matthew, but in more detail. He says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. That's Luke uh, 19, 41 through 44. So it was only 30 or 40 years after the prophecy of Jesus that, of course, the Roman armies came and camped around Jerusalem. And in 70 A.D., they invaded the city and burnt the temple to the ground. Well, then in 135 A.D., the Roman emperor Hadrian totally banned Jews from living in Jerusalem. And this began almost 2,000 years of Jewish exile from the Temple Mount, and the city of which, remember, God had said, I will put my name there forever. He didn't say, if Israel goes into exile, I'll take my name from there. He just said, I will put my name there forever. Now, during the time of exile, devout Jews prayed three times each day with their faces turned towards Jerusalem that God would forgive their sins and return the Jews to the promised land. It became a a custom at Jewish weddings for the groom during the ceremony to crush a glass under his heel. And this was to indicate that on this happiest day of his life, he could not be completely happy since the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And throughout the exile, when Jews parted from one another's company, it became their custom to conclude their goodbyes with next year in Jerusalem. So, 
after Hitler's horrible holocaust, the United Nations decided it was time to give Jews a place that they could call home. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to partition the Holy Land in two nations, into two nations, Israel and Palestine. And the world body decided that Jerusalem would be declared an international city. Now, who's the international uh, community to decide that? God said, no, it's given to the children of Israel. I will put my name there forever. Remember, the promised land was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through that lineage forever. And yet the international community says, well, we're going to make Jerusalem an international city and that it would be placed under the United Nations control. Well, the Arabs refused the partition plan and they launched a war to destroy the newborn nation of Israel. And Israel had accepted it and declared independence on May 14, 1948, the Arabs said, no way, not going to happen. So when a ceasefire was declared in 1949, Israel controlled West Jerusalem and Jordan occupied East Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount, and Israel immediately adopted Jerusalem as its capital, even though they didn't have the entire city. But when the 1967 Six Days War broke out, Jordan launched an attack against Israel. Well, of course, Israel counterattacked, drove Jordan out of, the, out of Jerusalem, back across the Jordan River. And that's when Israel conquered the eastern portion of Jerusalem and took the Temple Mount. 1967. Well, then in 1980... Israel officially annexed East Jerusalem and declared the city to be Israel's undivided capital. On August 20th, 1980, the United Nations adopted Resolution 478, in which it reiterated its position that all actions altering the status of the city were null and void, and called upon states that had established embassies in Jerusalem to withdraw them. And subsequently, all nations placed their embassies in Tel Aviv, bowing to the will of the United Nations. You know, the United Nations recognizes every chosen capital of each of its member states, except one, and that's Israel. Well, the U.S. Congress decided the injustice of this situation should no longer be tolerated. Both houses of Congress overwhelmingly passed the Jerusalem Embassy Act on October 23, 1995. And that act recognized Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel and called for Jerusalem to remain an undivided city. It also required the U.S. Embassy to be moved from Tel Aviv back to Jerusalem by May 31, get this, 1999. Well, the only way presidents could avoid this this law was to sign a waiver. Every six months, 
declaring that the, moving the embassy would endanger America's national security. So throughout their presidencies, President Clinton, George, H, or, uh, George W. Bush, President Obama, they all used the waiver as an excuse to obey the United Nations rather than obey U.S. law. Well, the first deadline for the signing of the waiver by when President Trump came into office was June 1 of 2017. And President Trump signed the waiver. And if you understand what was going on there, he stated that he intended to move the U.S. Embassy as part of the Middle East Peace Agreement, which he, in, he was intending to negotiate. Well, of course, lovers of Israel, they side with disappointment. I mean, it, and it, it looked like President Trump would be like all the rest. Hey, just in, in spite of his big promises, he's going to just continue to sign the waivers. However, on December 6, 2017, the president announced that the United States is now recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital. You understand how big of a decision that was in an announcement. And that plans would begin immediately to move the U.S. Embassy back to Jerusalem. Well, we were all happy about that, right? However, U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is now talking about reopening a U.S. consulate in Jerusalem and to help the Palestinians. Again, American law is quite clear, everybody. I want us to understand. The U.S. Jerusalem Embassy Act repeatedly stresses the unity and indivisibility of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Remember, 1967, it actually states the city of Jerusalem was reunited during the conflict known as the Six-Day War. Jerusalem has been united, a, a united city administered by Israel. Jerusalem should remain an undivided city recognized as the capital of the state of Israel. Now, we have people and administration that's saying, nah, we're going to try to placate the Palestinians. Doesn't make any sense, does it? So, will Jerusalem be divided? Will the Palestinians get their way? What does the future hold for Israel? Well, actually the Bible's very crystal clear on what happens to the future of Israel. According to Scripture, there's going to be a peace agreement in the very near future. The peace agreement will do at least four things. Create a Palestinian state in the West Bank. Allow Jews presently living in the area of the new Palestinian state to remain there living as a Jewish minority under the new Palestinian government. The Temple Mount will be placed under a sharing arrangement so that Jews can build their third temple there without disturbing the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And the status of Jerusalem will remain unresolved. The city will temporarily stay under Jewish control and its status will be revisited seven years later once the peace agreement is signed. Now, I would love to be able to sit down with President Biden, his administration, and say, look, don't mess with Jerusalem. Don't mess with Israel. Because that is a God-inspired nation. God said, I will put my name in Jerusalem and on the Temple Mount 40 plus times in the Old Testament. Do not mess with that. 
Do not promote a two-state solution. That's land for peace. Giving up parts of the promised land for peace. It never has worked, nor will it ever work. But we know scripturally what's going to happen. The city of Jerusalem will never be divided. Israel will never divide it. There will come a time, Zechariah 14, 2, when the world governing armies come down against the battle of Armageddon, the Bible says half of the city, half of the city will be conquered. But that's not Israel's doing. That's the international community conquering that. So, this peace agreement, the Palestinian-Israeli peace agreement, will be signed with much fanfare. I mean, Nobel Peace Prizes are going to be awarded. Political pundits, will they're going to contend that, hey, the core issue, feeding terrorism around the world has now been solved. Israel and the Palestinians? That's all built up in the minds of everybody from the international community and all of the false narrative that has been brought against Israel all these years. And the, the, the placing of the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement is going to be hailed as the, the creation of a wonderful interfaith Mecca, a, a pattern for dealing with religious strife around the world. Think about it. The international community is going to pour billions of dollars into the new Palestinian state in order to create a viable nation with its own economy, uh, a, a stable government that can take its place along among the nations, right? And so the new Palestinian state is going to be granted membership at the United Nations. Think about that. This will become a source of great pride among the Palestinian people. This is coming in the very near future. But in the meantime, Jews are going to flock to their designated portion of the Temple Mount to freely pray at a place that they regard as the holiest place on earth. Plans are going to quickly move towards the building of a third temple. And the laying of the cornerstone for the new temple will be accompanied by unprecedented Jewish celebration and will be viewed with wonderment by people around the world. Think of it. The construction of the third temple will become Israel's number one priority. And believe me, I have lots of friends in Israel and they're looking forward to the day when that third temple will be built. The Jewish, um, the Temple Institute and uh, Rabbi Yehuda Glick and many others, Gershon Solomon, all kinds of people, great friends, our guides, everybody's looking for it. And so it's Jerusalem, it's Israel. It's the Un- Jerusalem, the United Capital of Israel. And it was set forth by God, not man, thousands of years ago. You don't ever want to mess with that because it's God inspired. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. 
If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Imagine when they set the cornerstones for the third temple. I mean, progress on its construction will be continually in the news. Every day, everybody's just going to have their TV and they're going to be riveted to watching the temple be built. Well, it's going to be completed within the first three and one half years of that seven-year agreement. Jewish authorities have estimated that with modern technology, and they've told us this, we can complete the actual construction within about one year. And while the temple's being built, religious leaders in Israel, they're going to begin preparation for the anticipated resumption of ministry in the temple. Priests are already being trained to perform the rituals required by the law of Moses. Cohens from all over the world will prepare to assume their ordained responsibilities. And when the third temple is completed... Standing north of the Dome of the Rock, its beauty is going to be breathtaking. It's going to be time for the dedication of the temple to God so that the daily rituals of worship can begin. Invitations are going to be issued to the kings and presidents, prime ministers of the world. Prominent religious leaders from all over the globe will make their way to Jerusalem. The President of the United States will be there. The Pope of the Roman Catholic Church is going to be there. Without a doubt, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they're going to be in attendance. Even though their identities have not yet been firmly established. And the major news services of the world are going to be assigned their areas on the Temple Mount to to televise this historic ceremony to the four corners of the earth. And it will be a, a gala such as has not been seen on earth for 2,000 years. After the obligatory remarks are chosen by the world's leaders and Israel's prime minister and the, um, the rabbis of Israel will begin the religious aspect of the dedication ceremony. And this will be, that there's going to be um, singing by the temple choir and the sounding of the shofar. Think about it. Picture all this stuff in your mind. Well, then young rabbis, they're going to enter the Temple Mount, leading the dedication sacrifice toward the brazen altar of the center of the outer court of the temple. And an uncomfortable murmuring is going to be heard uh, rippling through those in attendance. Are they really going to do this in front of the entire world? However, it had already been explained in the program why this would be necessary. Now, this is, this is coming in the future, folks. Well, think of it. The animal is going to be placed on the altar. The killing will be done expertly and according to halakhic guidelines. The blood is going to be captured in the basin, prepared for this specific purpose. And then the priest will proceed to complete the administration as required by Jewish scriptures. And finally, the choir again will offer a rousing rendition of praise and worship to God. There will, there's going to be weeping, rejoicing, congratulations. People have waited thousands of years for this. 
and they're going to be offered by world leaders to the prime minister of Israel. And for days and weeks after this, rabbis are going to be interviewed on major networks of the world. They're going to explain their worship ceremonies and of the Jewish religion and explain why each one is done in great detail. The world's going to undergo a re-education in the observance of the Jewish religion. Jewish leaders are going to undoubtedly attempt to downplay some of the aspects of the temple worship. In particular, they will avoid speaking specifically about the daily animal sacrifices that Jewish law requires. However, once the temple rituals are in full swing, the issue is going to be unavoidable and animal sacrifices to be offered each morning and each evening. Think about that. That's a lot of bloodshed. And this, the, the daily transport of animals to the temple and the stream of blood that will flow from these sacrifices, it's going to be captured by the media and displayed for all the world to see. Animal rights activists will be undoubtedly incensed and they're going to begin to launch protest on the Temple Mountain around the world. International pressure is going to escalate at an alarming rate and the pressure for something to be done will become impossible to ignore. So, when the peace agreement is struck and the Temple Mount placed under the sharing arrangement, the United Nations or some... Probably the United Nations, but at least an international body is going to be appointed to supervise the Temple Mount, that agreement, and to settle any difficulties that might arise. Well, now, the offering of daily sacrifices in the Temple, it's not going to be anticipated, really. But once the dispute over them arises, the Jews are going to explain that, hey, they, they are required by their God and to faithfully offer these sacrifices to him. And it's going to be undeniable that the Jewish scriptures do mandate these scripture, these um, sacrifices. And yet the entire world is going to be, you know, revolted by what they view as extreme animal cruelty. And the problem is not going to go away. It's going to have to be dealt with. So everybody's going to look to the international organization that's in charge for a solution. By this time, a world leader will have risen to a level of prominence in the world community until he will be largely viewed as the leader of the world. As such, people will begin to demand that he take responsibility for the Temple Mount crisis. You've got to do something right now. Well, after weeks of deliberation, the world leader He's possibly going to call a press conference on the Temple Mount and he's, you know, in his unique way, he's going to acknowledge that the offering of the Jewish sacrifices was required by the Jews' religion. And then he's going to mention that, hey, many people of the world that, including some Jews, have been discussing the possibility that he is their long-awaited Messiah. He will have aided in getting a peace agreement signed. And, he, he, you know, and he's going to be instrumental in getting that peace agreement signed, preparing the way for the building of the third temple. Two things the Jewish people believe the Messiah will do, right? So they've been talking about it several weeks now. Well, this world leader, he's going to remind everyone the reason sharing of the Temple Mount has even become possible is because he has taught them that they are really 
they all really worship the same God anyway. And Muslims call him Allah. Jews call him Jehovah. Christians call him Jesus. That's what they say in the interfaith movements, right? Well, almost everyone at the press conference is going to nod in agreement. Yes. And most of them will by then have accepted all worship, that all worship the same God, even though they call him by different names, even though that's not scriptural. So the world leader, leader, he's going to continue pointing out that each of these religions also believe in a coming anointed one. Muslims calling the Mahdi. Jews calling the Messiah. Christians calling Jesus. And don't you see that you not only worship the same God, he's going to say, but you are also all looking for the same anointed one, right? Well, then is going to come the blockbuster announcement. The world leader is going to declare, I have not responded to the rumors about me being the Messiah until now. However, I believe the time has come that I must respond. I am your Messiah, he will say. I'm your Mahdi. And I'm your second coming of Jesus. Consequently, these sacrifices will no longer be needed. Your Messiah has arrived. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says he will stand in the temple and claim to be God, exalting himself above all that is called God. So think about this. You know, for a moment, the crowd's going to stand stunned in silence like, what? But then spontaneously applause will break out and it's going to spread throughout the audience. God said repeatedly in the Jewish scriptures, He had placed his name on the temple mount. The Bible's prophecies say specifically that when the Antichrist comes, he will stand in the temple of God claiming to be God. This act of, it's absolute blasphemy. It's called in scripture, the abomination of desolation. The apostle Paul prophesied this event 2,000 years ago. This is 2 Thessalonians. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, the coming of our Lord, except there comes a falling away first, and the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3 through 4. This last day world leader is called by several names in Scripture. In 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. And it also refers to this event as the revealing of the man of sin. Most commonly today, we call this last day world leader, this dictator, this despot, the Antichrist. Jesus himself prophesied about the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. He said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation... Spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel 9, 27. When he stands in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. That's Matthew 24, 15 and 16 and verse 21. End Time Ministries is going to take part in warning these individuals prior to this So the people in Judea, the modern-day West Bank, will have an opportunity to escape that. That's one of the things we're going to do. Once the final seven years hits, three years after that, 
We're going to do a door knocking campaign to every home in the West Bank, warning them to flee. And notice, Jesus said the abomination of desolation would occur in the holy place. The holy place is in the Jewish temple, right? It's on the temple mount. And Jesus also stated this event would trigger the final three and one half years called the Great Tribulation. So after this, the seven-year moratorium for dealing with the Jews, this issue, the Jerusalem issue expires, Palestinians will again insist that East Jerusalem must become their capital. It's what they're saying today. And Israel, as firmly as ever, is going to refuse. Now, we know that this will set the stage. And what's going on now, honestly, many things. You UN Security Council resolutions, the, the ideology, the, the mindset of the Palestinians in the international community, it's all setting the stage for the final battle on earth, which will be fought between Israel and the world governing armies of the world international community. And it's going to be fought over the status of Jerusalem. God said many times in the Old Testament, I will put my name there. And it's as if Satan said, well, if that's where you want your name, then that's where I want my name. And he's been fighting it for him ever since. And the last battle on earth, the battle of Armageddon, will be fought over this holy city, Jerusalem. It's in the news every day. And will it be divided? Not, from, not by Israel. It will be, half of the city will be conquered at the Battle of Armageddon, but Israel's never going to divide Jerusalem again. And so I wanted you to kind of have an idea of what's going on in the news today with efforts to divide Jerusalem, to bring other entities into Jerusalem. It's simply not scriptural, folks. We should not ever tamper with what God put in place. God said, I will put my name there forever. That settles it. It's scriptural. It's godly. And I don't ever want to be a part of trying to divide it. God bless. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com.